Hey friends, welcome to today's episode on Your Church and COVID-19. I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to us by our good friends over at Portable Church Industries. Listen, they've been sponsoring this podcast for a long time, and if you are a portable church, you should reach out to them today. In fact, if you're looking for help with your streaming, I know lots of churches are, are impacted by that right now, trying to figure out how to do that. They're offering free uh, one-hour coaching calls for churches this week who are looking for help with streaming. Just go to uh, portablechurch.com and click on the Contact Us uh, button, and that will uh, get you in touch with them. Let them them know that Unseminary sent you. Uh, Also, if you're looking for new campus information, uh, if you're launching a new location, going portable, uh, if you want more information about going portable and, you know, being portable and doing that well, just go to portablechurch.com forward slash unseminary. All right, well, today's conversation is of a legal nature, so we start with a... uh, uh, with a whole kind of um, legal disclosure at the front end, uh, but let's jump in and learn more about how uh, some laws have changed in the recent weeks that are already impacting your church today. This is the Unseminary Podcast, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. I was saying like the car commercial, I'm going to do a really fast thing at the end that says, by the way, this is a disclaimer that says that none of this information is legal or tax advice. You're not entitled to rely upon it. And and if you have any questions, you refer to your own tax counselor, blah, 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 blah. So that was it. I'll be quiet for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. So the Families First Coronavirus Response Act um, was recently passed into law and it basically had two entitlements that it put on, on um, for employees and, and put on employers as far as the expense goes. There's the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act and the Emergency Family Medical Leave Act. Now, the law said it started April 2nd, effective date, but the Department of Labor said April 1st. All the lawyers and everyone else have kind of pivoted towards April 1st. That's when the enforcement's starting. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense that that happened that way, but it happened that way. So let's look at April Fool's Day as when this is going to become effective. So um, the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act provides for basically 10 days or 80 hours of paid leave. Now, if someone's part-time, they need to get whatever they would normally get within a two-week period. That can have a six-month look back, and and we can talk some about that if we Mm -hmm. um, need to do that. It applies to all employers with fewer than 500 employees. There are no exemptions for churches or nonprofits. Um, It also applies only to employees who are unable to work or unable to telework. And so keep that in mind. I mean, that's a a constraining factor for this somewhat, too. Um, Someone's going to ask me what that means if they can't telework. Well, it means what the employee says in this environment. So you're going to hear that said a few times, but you need to err on the side of the employee. You're going to have a a, um, a, a real unfavorable regulator. Um, And it's just not the period of time that you're wanting to err on the side of the employer. Um, There's no length of employment requirement um, on this, and it basically applies in six situations. And what I want people to do is think of this in two sets of three, okay? The first set of three um, situations is for self-care. The government wants employers to pay for employees to take care of themselves. In these three situations, if the government, state, local, or federal, has asked the employee to quarantine or self isolate um, that's a, a, that, that will be one of the situations. Um, the other one is if their doctor has told them to quarantine or self-isolate. So government, doctor, or symptoms. If the employee is, says they're experiencing symptoms and is seeking diagnosis or care, then in those three situations, government, doctor, or symptoms, 
that employee is going to be entitled to up to 10 days or 80 hours of paid sick leave, basically. And it's paid by the employer. And we'll talk about the tax credits that offset that um, here in a little while. But they are up, up to a maximum of $511 a day or $5,110 over that two-week or 80-hour period of time. And it'll be important for employers to keep track of that, those numbers and the qualifying circumstances, because that will um, help document, you know, their tax credit that, that we'll talk about on payroll taxes. So those are the first three items. Um, the, the next three are others. And mm -hmm. so the first one is for if the employee wants to care for um, an individual who is under um, any individual, I didn't say family member. So if someone's got a neighbor that can't get, can't help themselves and they just feel like they want to go take, they need to take care of them, th that's in here. It's an individual. And so if that individual has a government or doctor telling them to isolate and quarantine and they can't help themselves um, for some reason, um, they're eligible. Uh, that, that's a situation that's eligible for the employee to take paid, to take paid sick leave. Um, the next is care of a of a child, the employee's child, and that's if their school, daycare, or child care provider are closed or unavailable. And so the employee can get paid, you know, up to up to ten days or eighty hours to stay home and take care of um, their child, subject to obviously the telework, you know, kind of issue. And so that can reduce the amount, you know, the time period where they can telework can reduce the amount of paid sick leave. Um, that they're entitled to. And, and the last one is people who are in a substantially um, similar condition. I mean, that's kind of a catch all, but that's, that's sort of, if you're in, you know, kind of anywhere near these other five figures here, you know, or these other, other situations, you're also going to be able to apply. And those last three that I told you about the, um, uh, the care for an individual, um, care for a child or similar situation, mm -hmm. the cap on that is they're, they're eligible for two thirds of their pay up to $200 a day or $2,000 over that 10 day or 80 hour period or whatever the pro rata kind of reduction is for a part-time um, employee. And so this is a brand new entitlement um, that's out there. The employers are on the hook for um, providing it. There is an exemption, okay, for um, uh, the fifth thing that I talked about, the care of a child um, by the employee. So if you've got fewer than 50 employees um, um, and you're under the, and they need to care for their child. And, and if this can be demonstrably shown to threaten the viability of the organization, you know, the financial health, like it's going to have to shut down. You know, we've got fewer than 50 employees. A lot of them need to care for their child go out. I mean, we just can't make it. Um, then you're exempt, um, you know, from that care of the child provision. Those other, other provisions that we looked at one, two, three, four, and six, you know, would still, um, apply. So this is a, a big deal. Um, employers are on the hook for um, paying that. And it's um, also true that there'll be tax credits that will help offset this. And those come relatively quickly. And they decided um, wisely and helpfully for churches and ministries to do that on the payroll side of things, because obviously churches are nonprofits and it doesn't help us to get, you know, into the year tax credits and stuff like that. So this actually does pretty quickly try to recompense, you know, nonprofits, ministries, and churches. So, hmm. um, so that's pretty much the kind of overview of the um, emergency paid sick leave components of the FFCRA, which again is effective April 1st. Okay. So now just to underline this, ch churches and ministries are, are they exempt from this or not exempt from this? This is, this applies to everybody, right? It applies to everyone. Yes. And um, everyone that's under 500, 
um, employees and, and for employees who are unable to um, work or telework. So that's kind of the, um, there's no length of employment requirement. The emergency family medical leave act stuff has a 30 day um, requirement. You have to have been an employee for 30 days, but no, otherwise this um, absolutely applies to churches and ministries. Hmm, interesting. Now the, and then the other thing you said there that I, I wonder if you could pull apart a little bit that um, if an employee of mine, um, they deem that they can't do telework, their job, and it's on them, not on me to make that decision. Is that, is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, that's basically correct. Because in this enforcement and regulatory environment, um, we're just not telling our, our, our churches and ministries to have that battle, you know, too much um, at all. Right. And um, you're not going to have a sympathetic ear with regulators. Um, the right. pub- public relations aspect of this separate from the legal aspect is, would be, is poor. And, and so we're just saying that, listen, just work with your employees and try to and work that out. And, um, if you're able to resource them and they don't have children at home, that's a different situation. But, you know, you need to be in close contact with your employees and ultimately, you know, kind of let them um, make the final determination or agreement, you know, that they're able to or not. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So um, uh, Family Medical Leave Act, can you pull apart, um, you know, have there been changes on that recently as well? Has that has that been modified? There have. Here's a new entitlement. I mean, um, also that employers are responsible um, for paying and it's 12 weeks of job protected leave. And there is um, uh, an exception if you've got um, I'll start with the exception before we kind of set what qualifies. But if you've got less than 25 employees mm-hmm. and the employee takes this leave and then you had to terminate their position um and you know you've tried you've tried to restore it you know you're you're willing to go on record that you're going to try to restore it and indeed for up to a year you'll be in communication with them to try to restore them if so if you're under 25 employees and you're willing to meet those four conditions you know you're going to mm-hmm. be looking to try to bring that play back um then you can be exempt from this emergency fmla um leave that that we've got and and it applies again to um any organization with fewer than 500 employees and they also, key part here, have to be unable to work or telework. So that's another kind of factor mm-hmm. to keep um, in mind there. And, and all these are related to a public health emergency, we, you know, COVID-19 coronavirus. So I'm not going, we all know what the problem is. And so I'm not yes. spending too much time on that. But that's kind of what's animating all of this. And, and, and we're all aware of that. So they also have to have a 30 calendar day. Um, employment term with you. So it can't be, unlike the emergency paid sick leave act, it can't be a brand new employee. They've got to at least have been with you 30 um, calendar days. And this is for the care of a child um, whose school daycare or child care provider are closed or unavailable. And so if they're in that situation, then they've got, you know, the opportunity to take advantage of this EFMLA. And it's not for individual self-quarantining. So that's, it's different than that. This is for the care of a um, uh, your, your children basically is kind of where, where this applies. So it's a little bit um, different. I want to make sure that distinction's there. The first 10 days are unpaid. Okay. So the first 10 days are like, you know, normal FMLA is kind of unpaid. So the first 10 days are unpaid, but the employee at their sole election can decide if they want to use some of your existing leave that you have on your policies. Um, so you might have some paid sick leave. They may have PTO, that kind of thing. At their sole election, they can say, I'm going to use that. You may be in a, a situation where a city also mandates it, you know, Los Angeles, um, New York City, some of those places, or the state maybe has some paid leave, but they can choose to use that. Also, 
And I, I start with the emergency pay sick leave because they can also use that. If it applies, they can use that for the first 10 days. So um, I just want to make sure that people were aware of that because the legislation was crafted in a way to make that, um, you know, at least um, possible. So mm-hmm. um, the rest of the 12 weeks, basically, um, which would be the 10 weeks after the first two, mm-hmm. they're going to be eligible for two thirds of their pay okay. up to $10,000 total. Um, okay. And that's $200 a day. $10,000 total. So that's what the church or ministry would be on the hook for. And you, you want to document this because again, it's those payroll tax credits where we'll kind of just briefly touch on that. Um, you'll be able to claw some of that back. And so they're trying to net this out, you know, as a, um, not having a, a net effect on, um, you know, the church or ministry and um, in, in this context. So that's the emergency family medical leave act. Um, it's a new one too, but you'll notice on both of these, that our employers are, you've got to have the money up front to be able to do this. So, I mean, they are tapping into the employer's bank account and, um, you know, we just need to keep that in mind. I mean, you're going to be made whole, but that's after you've kind of, you know, made your payments and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I know we're we're going to get to the payroll tax side, kind of what that piece of it looks like. Uh, Let's stick with this for a little bit. Is there, um, what are you recommending to your clients around kind of the notification, like how we're talking to our people about this? What, what's kind of best practice on that at this point? Yeah, super important question and avoids lots of problems, you know, when it comes down to communication. And just yesterday, the federal government gave us a model notice. And so that is a, a posting you know, that you can print out. And they gave guidance about that. And they said that, um, you know, that thing can be put in all the normal places that you would do it, posted in a break room, intranet, email, mail, if you're into that still, but, um, you know, that'll, that'll let everyone know kind of what the situation is. And that fulfills the employer's notice requirements. Um, someone's going to ask, are the employees required to give notice? Yeah, but only a reasonable amount and, and reasonable is what the employee says. Right. So right. I just think, you know, I'm just telling you how that's going to roll. You're not going to be able to, you know, if they right. come to you the same day or day before, you just need to be flexible and, and um, kind of um, you know listen to your employees. It's a difficult time right now, and again, the regulators and that kind of thing will not be favorable towards employers at all. So right, yeah, that's good. I, I appreciate. I want to underline what you're saying there. You know, I think um, it's important. We don't want to get ourselves, or we're trying to steward our ministries long term. None of us want to do something in the short term that will impact our you know abilities long term. Yeah. And there's there is risk here. You know, if and we want to, we want obviously all of us. I know everyone who's on the call wants to treat their people well. Uh, but, you know, in this moment, we need to be particularly, I know no one here is thinking about this. So I'm going to ask the question that nobody's actually thinking. Uh, but what would be the penalty for a church if they, you know, frankly, failed to live up to either of these, specifically the, you know, EFMLA or the FFCRA? Like what if, what's the risk we're dealing with there? Yeah, so a lot. Um, the um, <laughs> the employer, um, you know, kind of the emergency paid leave act is up to ten thousand dollar fine, six months mm-hmm. in prison, or both. The FMLA has got its own stuff: injunctions, penalties, fines. In addition, it's a violation of the church's directors and officers' fiduciary duties, you know, duties okay. of care, loyalty, and obedience, and it will be deemed grossly negligent to willfully non-comply with federal law. And so, if you don't comply willfully and you um, have an employee sue you or otherwise your insurance carrier will not be there to assist you. Your ties and offerings mm-hmm. will be fully exposed and we want to avoid that situation for sure. So 
it's a lot of bad stuff. Just comply. And that's kind of why we're here is to help the churches and ministries comply. They're trying to make it easy, you know, as far as, um, you know, given the tax credits and that kind of thing. So it's to be taken seriously for sure. Right. Yeah. I appreciate that. The, uh, you're trying to 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 head off a bunch of other legal work. You don't want you don't want you know, <laughs> coming to you uh, six months from now with a whole bunch of other problems. So uh, yeah, appreciate that for sure. So how does the FFCRA integrate with? And I, obviously, I know this is probably not a simple answer because there's lots of states. But how does this integrate with state unemployment insurance benefits? And you know, if if there ends up being you know, I, there's a lot of um, executive pastor types out who are frankly are worried about the long-term sustainability of their organization. They're wondering, okay, yeah. uh, we see what happened last weekend, the week before, I, if I project forward, I'm not sure on revenue, all that. How, how does, how does that, you know, kind of integrate when we think about potential layoffs or sh- even shutdown down the road? Yeah, it's a great question. And we know that's on a lot of people's hearts and minds. It's on ours also, as we're praying mm-hmm. for clients and our own home churches, you know, and everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the, you know, important part of this to recognize is that the Emergency Sick Leave Act and the Emergency FMLA are for presently employed individuals. So that, you know, that's, that's a requirement there. The unemployment mm-hmm. stuff is separate. That's once they've been terminated from employment, you know, then they're in that situation to draw unemployment. But I do want to caution, you know, the, they've done some things to try to make the unemployment situation more favorable so you can easier apply if you've been unemployed uh, or terminated and you can get benefits easier and for a longer period of time, but almost all churches as in ministries do not um, participate in unemployment insurance. You know, they're mm. exempted out from having to do that. And most do not for good reason, usually um, opt back into that system. And so your employees would be relying upon their prior periods of non-church or ministry employment to see if they would even mm. qualify. Mm-hmm. So this is me stepping out of my lane a little bit, but I would just mm-hmm. ask the, um, our churches and ministries to know who you're dealing with as you're having, to, if you're having to make some terminations, um, you know, if they're not able to draw unemployment insurance, that might inform your decision to be a little more, um, you know, gracious on separation pay and, and some of those things, because you may be casting them out, you know, so to speak, into a situation where it's a very difficult employment situation for them as far as trying to get reemployment. And they're not going to possibly be able to access those unemployment insurance benefits. And so I just want to, that's kind of a nuanced deal that churches and ministries have to keep in mind in this context. And I just think it's important. They don't sometimes don't know it and often want to know it. So, mm-hmm. Interesting. And I, Go ahead. I was just going to say too, that your, your point's really well taken um, with making these decisions and the, whether, you know, we're looking at terminations or reductions in pay or reduced time our, our churches and ministries in this environment have, they hold a lot of flexibility. You know, I, I said you're, you know, it's a pro-employee environment as far as making these, some of these subjective kind of decisions and that kind of thing. But as to how you're going to stay viable and functioning, um, everyone needs to be looking at their revenue and expenses and, and, the, and the, the, you know, human capital part of that is certainly part of that. Keep in mind, of course, the cost of reemployment and trying to you know, rehire someone and some of that stuff, but you have a lot of flexibility, not just termination. You've got reducing pay, you know, as grievous as that can be, or reducing you know, hours worked or days worked per week. So you, you've, you've got a lot of tools short of termination to try to, none of us knows what the future is going to hold. We're all hoping we've got a kind of a quick bridge to a little more normalcy, hopefully. But um, so I just want to make sure that our folks know that they do have some tools 
in their arsenal to try to help manage that situation. And, and you can, you can use those, um, you know, pretty much at your discretion. Um, obviously don't want to focus all the terminations on people over 50 or 55 and protected classes and those things that, you know, you know, not to do anyway. And our and churches aren't looking to do that. I just cautionary tale about, um, that aspect, but as long as you're kind of deploying decision-making, um, with your, um, your workforce and, and trying to remain viable, you're going to, you're going to be able to do a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think that's good. That's good coaching, right? That I think sometimes we can get we can get locked into very binary thinking. It's either we keep everybody or we let everybody go. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of steps in in between there. And, you know, we should be looking for those. Um, you know, for folks that are listening in, just to remind you, we are going to take questions uh, in the end. We have a landslide of questions that have come in. Not surprising. Uh, we got lots of questions, but if you've got questions, it'd be good for you to get them in now. You can just, you just enter them in the box over there and we will uh, loop back around this. I, I, a bit of a factual question. I hear different terms being, uh, this is me showing a little of my ignorance here, uh, different terms being shown out, uh, thrown out there. You've got layoff, furlough. Termination, termination. I understand. How do you yeah. how do you nuance that language? How should we be thinking about those different terms? Yeah, so I try to have clients not focus on those terms too much because yep. you know some people will say you know a layoff is sort of you know uh, there's permanent layoff, temporary layoff. People have aren't of the yeah. same mind, and it's you know you get four attorneys in a room and you get five different opinions, you know about um, some of the definitions even. So we're not always able to give um, even the clarity. A furlough is generally you know a temporary reduction in pay or hours worked, um, that kind of thing. Termination is easy, of course, you know, reduction in force is another one that comes out there, rift, um, and that's elimination of a position that's viewed as permanent. It's okay to be aware of those terms. I'm more important, it's more important to me that my clients are aware of the options that those terms kind of bring, that you are able, if you need to, to, to ask an employee to not work for a week or two in, in situations. You can reduce their pay. You can reduce hours worked. I'm not happy about that, not encouraging it. I'm simply saying that you have those tools in your toolbox. And as you're trying to pray and think your way through this, that those those options are there and and that you can um, use them for sure. And they don't, um, you know, whatever terms you use, I just would, would, would have you um, clearly and um, accurately communicate to your employees their ex- the expectation. You know, if this is permanent, let them know it's permanent, you know, so they can move on to the next thing that God has for their life. If it's not, and you're really going to be working hard to get them back, I mean, let them know that too, and just be very honest and open, and, and communication is just always key. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a recommendation, um, and this uh, this may be an unfair question, so if it is, you say that's an unfair question, we'll move on, but is there a recommendation if we were thinking about um, like a a kind of organizational wide rollback on pay. Is there a, um, like some thresholds we should be thinking about from a legal perspective? Like, um, you know, you know, you just, if you spread the pain too far too deep, is that, you know, are we better to think about that or should we think about individuals from a legal point of view? Do you understand the nuance in the question? Do you think we're better to localize it or spread it across everybody from a legal perspective? I do understand the question. I'm, we're, I'm probably not the best, um, one to ask about that because not because the legals I, I can give you the legal sense of that that yep. you're a, you've got a lot of flexibility I I would right. err on the side of you know your essential business operations you know kind of payroll's got to be done and some of the accounting and that kind of thing you've got to prioritize your live stream folks you know if you're in a right. live stream situation you better have those folks in there and yep. and ready to go but other than that you really are able to look you know and use a razor 
like not a measurement here. You can do some of that across the board, you know, X percent for everyone's stuff, but you know, you can also get in there and choose and have departments and individuals and, and pick and choose a little bit. And I'd already cautioned about the protected class factors like age and sex and those kinds of things. Let's don't overweight to those for all the obvious reasons in this environment. But, mm -hmm. but ultimately you do have, you have flexibility. Okay. Um, how does, you know, how is the fact that some pastors on our teams have opted out of social security? How does that relate to all of these issues? Is that, is that poke in on this stuff that we're talking about today? Well, you know, I, I know in some of the states, including Texas, they're just wanting, if, if a, if a minister has been um, terminated, you know, from employment, um, just because they haven't paid into a system, they need to take advantage of everything that they've got, you know, available and they need to apply for everything and just let the state sort of, um, you know, figure out the benefits and that kind of thing. If that's, if that's what we're talking about, but I wouldn't, um, discourage anyone from not trying to, trying to apply. And that, um, it really would include even unemployment insurance if someone's affected, you know, just let the state figure it out. Some of the states are really trying to be, um, pretty open-handed about this and, and even on some of the, um, a recent legislation that was passed, you know, was trying to give some stimulus money and that kind of thing. I mean, churches aren't de facto kind of prohibited from trying to apply for some of those loans and try to do some of that stuff. So I know when Katrina hit and some of the FEMA funds, you know, those weren't forbidden for churches to apply for. So um, it depends sometimes on local offices and that kind of thing. But for pastors who have opted out, they ought to be encouraged to apply for any kind of benefit um, they can do. But otherwise, I mean, they can also be subject to um, you know, if they, if ministers need to be terminated and stuff too, they certainly, um, can fall, um, in that situation, in that situation, you know, like everyone else. But I, I think they, you know, that the opting out of social security, I don't think should, should be, um, too much of an issue, um, um, for them. It may be in situations where you've got separation pay and some of those kinds of things that they've opted out and things are difficult. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, that's a different issue. Okay. Dave, your microphone is not. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's showing that it's. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's showing that it was on, but sorry about that. Um, <laughs> you look great. He's coming from an undisclosed location. <laughs> I um, I mean, you could refresh your page, Dave, too. That might help yeah. if you if you go out yeah. and come back in. Um, so we've got some questions. I wonder if we could. I wonder if we could start throwing to some of those just to kind of help people. Um, so a couple questions around some, you know, unique scenarios. So, uh, do, do, does FRCRA or the EFMLA, uh, do these apply to childcare workers who work three hours or less, um, or, you know, don't work every single week. And then there's also a question around contract workers. How does, how do, how do those kind of relate together? Yeah, and some of this came out um, yesterday, and, and a lot of this, you know, kind of goes to um, really Dave's original point, which is this is a fluid, dynamic situation. So there's guidance coming out frequently, and so um, and this does apply to part-time workers. It's mainly that you know covered employer deal, less than 500 employees, and you know for the EFMLA, if they've worked there for 30 days, um, you know calendar days at least. But otherwise, you know if they're um, an employee and, and and not a contractor, you know, you need to kind of look at how this might apply. But of course, by the time you, you know, the, the numbers would be a lot different, of course, but yeah, you do need to kind of look at, look at their situation and, and can, with the, can, I, can you guys hear me? Yeah, I can now. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> nice. Good to be here. Hey, I, I've been asked this question several times this week. I, I, I think 
Stephen and I share the same opinion um, about it, but it's worth throwing out there to at least discuss. Mm -hmm. And that is, wait a minute, this found, this sounds like a trap to me. If we get involved with the federal government and we start communicating mm -hmm. with them and sharing information with them and reaching out and getting it from them, that's just and I don't want to do it. So, Stephen, I'll throw that to you. I think that's a pretty softball question, but um, see what your thoughts are. <laughs> well, yeah, if, if they just, they, you've got to comply. The federal government is in your world right now. And um, these are being mandated on all employers and certainly um, the government's well within its um, um, powers to, to do that. So, you know, the, the, we, we touched on the um, penalties, fines and loss of insurance coverage and those kinds of things if you don't, but I, I've, I've heard that several times this week. Also people, concerned and wondering about that but you know you're already paying payroll taxes um and there's some environment you know kind of uh, back and forth with the government anyway this is basically um just them trying to get us through a situation that's very difficult um i don't know if i did an adequate job of pointing out that for now the ffcra does expire at the end of the year subject to being you know added but um you know they're given the payroll tax credits also so Really, um, churches just need to understand that they are covered by this. The government's trying to make it where it's a net neutral effect and um, keep the documentation up and kind of go from there. Yeah, do you want to talk about that? My, my, my response has been that this is one of those times when the government uh, absolutely is trying to help. And if it mm -hmm. appears at some point in the future that they're not, then we can take that up. But but I, I would yeah. I would speak upon this as an opportunity where both sides of the aisle uh, are trying to help folks. And so take advantage of it in every way you can. Yeah, that's good. Uh, maybe on that, could you talk through the payroll tax credit side of this equation, what that, that piece is going to look like? Sure. And we won't belabor this too much because um, it, it's mainly the, the, the big idea is that um, keep track of all of the emergency paid sick leave that, that you have, the, the, the employees, the amount, um, how it qualified, the emergency FMLA. We talked about those caps, you know, that um, earlier and and um, um, and those are those are kind of there also to be paid attention to. But you're going to be able to submit those for um, a credit um, and even up to a refund back um, on your payroll taxes. And that's nice because um, there was a notice that was just issued um, 2020 57, I think, that basically says they're going to expedite this. And so they're going to mm. pretty quickly try to get you um, money back in your in your pocket. So um, they're really, you know, they're trying to do what they can for churches and they pretty quickly um, pivoted to the payroll aspect of this because they knew it was a way they could try to help nonprofits, churches, ministries, um, um, you know, be kind of get through this, not have to wait till the end of the year, expend funds for this new entitlement, but, but then have to wait, you know, a long time to get the money back. So um, that's what the payroll tax credits um, basically all about. And I, all of the accountants and payroll providers are being inundated with information on how to, how to do this and stuff. So, um, but that's, that's the long and short of it. It's legislation trying to have a net neutral effect as quickly as possible financially. Okay. Very cool. Um, so question uh, with churches uh, that were in areas where the schools were closed before April 1st, um, are they still cover? Are they still required to cover those days? How does this impact or what is the impact on those? Yeah. 
That's a good question. And it's not retroactive. And I don't think the, um, they haven't yet taken the opportunity to make it sort of somewhat retroactive um, from a uh, regulatory standpoint. So right now everyone's keying on April 1st going forward. And so that's um, really kind of what we need to key on is April 1st to the end of the year right now, but it it is changing quickly. I don't think that one's going to change, but anyway, we'll see how that, how that goes. Uh, That's good. Um, so Alan says here, you know, we provide 10 sick days, uh, or 10 days for sick leave is the 10 days of sick leaves in addition to what we already provide. Um, or yeah. What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. And then guess, so it's additive to your current policies that you have your paid sick leave policies. This is kind of is additive. It can't take away from it, but yesterday they did issue guidance that resolved an area where a lot of um, employment law attorneys, myself included, couldn't, we couldn't figure out what they were intending to do as far as, you know, how the FMLA and EFMLA um, worked. But you're supposed to have a total of 12 weeks altogether, you know, not double dipped to 24 weeks on this. And they gave guidance yesterday that tended to indicate that, uh, or actually did indicate that that's um, the, the correct interpretation of this. So um, just anticipating someone having that question, you know, we, we, it's not up to 24 weeks, you know, you're going to have some people take emergency paid sick leave and then they're going to be fine. They're able to come back and they don't have, you know, COVID-19 or anything. They break their arm or something and they'll have the normal FMLA, but it's up to, up to 12 weeks um, aggregate. Okay. It's an interesting question here. Uh, does EFMLA uh, apply to churches that do not typically use FMLA due to being too small? Yeah, so that's another thing um, with this, that um, this EFMLA applies to all employers, you know, who have fewer than 500 employees. And so it it doesn't have that, you know, less than four employee kind of regular FMLA limit. This emergency is, to Dave's point, um, the government saying, we need to help people right now. We need to incentivize employers, churches and ministries included to help folks help each other, Um and their families, and even individuals. I mean, they broaden the definition outside. They want you to look down the street and see who needs help. We're trying to get people help and trying to make it not bankrupt organizations in the process. So that's kind of what's going on. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, that To me, that's an interesting nuance in it where it's literally they're you know, saying even individuals, just people around you, look around. That's, that's amazing. Um, I think I know the answer to this one. Richard uh, asked, does this apply to part-time employees with no sick leave benefits? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, this emergency um, paid sick leave is a different a different deal. It's just all all employee, you know, less than five hundred employees, and it doesn't even have a waiting requirement. So yeah, it's it's there for the uh, the six conditions that we looked at that are all related to the public health emergency that we faced. And so yes, and, it, and the, uh, the the amount of payment, of course, is going to be modified according to their work schedule and what they normally work in a two week period. And right. there's a six month look back window if you need some other stuff. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Roseanne, who's a friend of mine, she's great, asked a question. Uh, do we want to have specific type of documentation for the reason they're not working? Uh, do we have them sign off on that documentation? What What is the kind of requirement on that side for them to generate for us? Yeah, that's sort of one of the ongoing things is that there's not, to my knowledge, model model employer documentation for this, but it's going to be the normal stuff and not don't get burdensome and start requiring doctor stuff and that kind of thing um, right now. There's uh, I would mainly just kind of who, uh, what the situation is, how much we've, we've paid out and then try to grab that back with the payroll tax credit, you know, as much as you can. But um, I, I would say just kind of think in terms of, you know, 
minimal but sufficient documentation. I, I wouldn't go overboard with it. Yeah, kind of in that same, you know, the and I, you know, you keep saying this, which is good. Like, hey, we're trying to help people here. The 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 law is leaning towards we're trying to help employees. Um, and so, what can we, you know, kind of follow the spirit of that? Pull together some documentation. You want to obviously have some documentation around it, but don't don't be onerous. Don't be over onerous in that's this right. moment. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, right. that's exactly right. Okay, yeah. great. Um. Can you talk about smaller ministries? This is uh, Rosalind said, can you talk about smaller ministries whose pastors are under contract in our 1099? We had a couple questions around 1099 employees or contract contractors. How does this impact uh, those relationships? Yeah. And so employers, oftentimes they're, they're, are 1099 contractors aren't supposed to be um, included. And I'll tell you, that's one of these situations where I don't know if guidance has been issued. I'm not aware of it specifically. And I would, prefer to kind of defer um, on that, um, at least in the public forum here. I Sometimes I can, you know, we can look at all of this stuff on the fly and get dig deep, but I don't want to have professionals disease and, and give an answer that's not um, grounded in, in what I know to be true. And so actually, if she wants to reach out um, uh, to us, um, I'll, I'll try to get some specific help on that, but I just don't want to broadcast something that might might be an error right now. Yeah, the, de- the Department of Labor has indicated that uh, by April the 2nd, they're going to have much more, more guidance. And so to Stephen's point, uh, again, it was a little bit like trying to describe how to fly an airplane while we're building the airplane while it's in air. I mean, there's <laughs> just a lot, it's a lot happening. And I commend Stephen for staying on top of all of this. But, but, but I think it's a great point that that uh, they, they can reach out, uh, Roxanne can reach out, and uh, we'll be happy to to help them as soon as we know something. And there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah. yeah. And we can yeah, really hard for us as lawyers to say. I mean, it's just really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is difficult. There's just a lot we don't know right now. Nice. I will, Sorry, go ahead. I, I will say for our smaller employers, though, I mean, do keep in mind what, what we discussed earlier, you know, with some of these exemptions like the EFMLA, if you've got under 25 employees, you know, and you're willing to kind of meet those four um, conditions, you know, where you're looking to reemploy them for up to a year and trying to, trying to bring their job back. And some of those things, I mean, that you can get out of the EFMLA requirements, so to speak, you know, through that exemption, but our specific question I'd rather address later. Yeah, that's great. So we've actually started to share um, a file that uh, that you'd provided. That would be a great place if you're looking for contact information. Their website address, the church, uh, church lawyers. It's a. Can you talk us through this? This is a compression. It kind of is a lot of what we've been talking about, but on two pages on a PDF. Um, you tell us a little bit about this uh, this document. Yeah. So it's basically our attempt to try to summarize kind of the um, in chart form, sort of how the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act and Emergency FMLA you know, kind of sometimes contrast clarifies. And so this kind of sets them up and shows kind of how the two-week emergency paid sick leave act can inform the first two weeks, you know, of the, the unpaid portion of the new emergency family medical leave act. But it kind of breaks it out into um, some of the sections to make it a little bit more accessible. Um, you know, I know the, the, the language sometimes, I, I tr- we try to work, work through the language and you still have to have the Department of Labor sometimes give guidance documents and, interpretive guidance and notices and that kind of thing. So I'm just trying to make this more accessible and, and try to help our um, HR practitioners, especially kind of um, be able to kind of understand these, some of the nuances of it and how it applies. 
Yeah, friends that are listening in, it's a really super helpful. It's amazing. It's a lot of information packed into a couple pages, but makes it super clear. I really appreciate you guys providing that. I think that'll be so helpful for church leaders that are listening. A couple more questions, if if you don't mind. Rapid fire rounds here. Uh, So Sonia, I love. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Now it's getting it a little bit to the like. Let me tell you about my specific scenario. You you know, and so I, I, you know. Uh, again, like we said at the beginning, we we can't we can't do all of that, but we'll try to pick out a few that might have some broad application. So, specific question from California: uh, How does uh, the sick pay and EFMLA benefits work with CA AB five employees? Are yeah. AB five employees have to work for uh, you know less than or more than thirty days, or you know what does that look like? Yeah, if they're an employee, I mean it's going to uh, apply to them, and if the benefits that are required to be provided. Um, this is in addition to that. So if, if that's kind of the thrust of the, um, of, of the question, th- this is additive. It can't take away. And mm-hmm. you, whatever the highest minimum is that the um, local, state, or federal government has established for minimum wage and those kinds of things, um, those need to be kept in mind and aired on the side of the, um, um, of the employee if I understood what, they were, what, the, okay. what the thrust of the question was. Okay, good. Uh, Matt asked, are the 80 hours of paid sick leave a one-time event? What if there's a second COVID-19 kind of trigger? Yeah. Have they talked about that yet? Wave two and wave three. They might have to have yeah. a wave two, wave three of these um, legislation okay. that they passed. So that's right. um, that's a not. good question. And that's, mm-hmm. an, that's a, a public health reality that the legislation um, it you know goes to the end of the year, but they may need to expand it up until the point of a vaccine being widely distributed. We'll, we'll see. Events are to Dave's point, you know, the events are unfolding rapidly. So that's probably one of the areas that will have to get addressed. Yeah, we're all hoping it's a short term, but you sure hear a lot of stuff that it's like we might be in for a bit of a ride here over the next year to 18 months even so. But who knows? You know, who knows? Um, uh, Phil asked a question. This one I can answer. Asked if there'll be a recording of this webinar. Yes. So the (laughs) fact that you're registered, you'll get today at at basically at about in about an hour and 15 minutes, uh, you know, from now, you'll get a recording of it. Um, And we're also making like audio and all that available at Unseminary. Um, a question for Maureen. If we cut back everyone's salaries for exempt employees, do uh, we have to keep that amount above the FLSA uh, salary threshold for exempt, even if it's intended uh, for just a temporary uh, rollback? Yeah, you got to meet those FLSA requirements um, sort of regardless. So you might have to handle that a little you know, differently. Um, and and be, we do need to continue to be mindful of the exempt, non-exempt distinction and, and those levels that are that are required to maintain those statuses. Um, and we've had clients that are candidly also trying to look at maybe having to recategorize employees and all, all options are kind of on the table with trying to maintain viability and ongoing um, functionality of the uh, organization. So, but yeah, good question. And you know, still have to be mindful of FLSA for sure. Yeah, it's great. Uh, friends, we're coming into the end here. We're, I've got a couple more questions, but um you know, if you're, why don't we, before we kind of wrap up, if people want to track with you guys, get connected, um, you know, if they've got specific questions, that sort of thing, or if they're looking for legal advice on other stuff, how can they track with you guys? What does that, what's that look like? What's the best place for them uh, to go to? Yeah, you can go to the churchlawyers.com. Um, that's our main website and encourage you to kind of take a look at um, the church lawyers team CLT program that we offer for churches and ministries. And um, I don't know if we want to get into details on that here, but that's yeah, what, why don't you tell us a little bit about that. I, I, okay. Why don't we talk well, a little bit about that? I think that'd be helpful. 
I, um, it, it's a $2,100 um, annual payment and it's a membership program. And what you get for that um, is a lot. You get access to a password protected client cloud portal that has on documents that are helpful to churches and ministries. You get a 25% reduction in the hourly rate of lawyers and paralegals that serve, um, serve you. And you get a $225 a month credit towards legal services. Um, the credit doesn't roll over. We get crushed in November or December, but um, it's there. It's a $2,500 annual benefit potentially. And we, and we have clients that, you know, use that every month. And so um, it's certainly a program that's been um, well-received and it kind of puts the um, communication and relationship, you know, between the client and the attorney at the forefront of what we do, um, where, where it can kind of prepay some time. We can try to head things off and be a protective shield for your organization, you know, so we can avoid having to pull a sword out, which we also do. We've got, we have to engage in litigation at some Sometimes, you know, with um, uh, issues that go on with construction and contracts and all those kinds of things. And so um, we're a full service national law firm and just exclusively focused on churches and religious nonprofits. Um, I mean, I, probably 99 percent at least. And we love what we do and we're honored to serve our clients for sure. And um, we encourage you to reach out to us um, anytime. And, and we send out you know video content and other content, try to overdo that too much, but, and certainly this was an opportunity to serve today and and we really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah. I I would encourage you if you're listening in to look at, you know, at this team. uh, I think this is a a great opportunity for most churches that are listening in today. I I really do think, um, you know, it would be well worth your time even to take advantage of that a, a monthly call. Like, Hey, let's get on the phone. You know, we all bump into areas where I think we play lawyer in our mind where we're like, I wonder what the best way to do this is. And the, and the advantage of a service like that is you can actually ask someone who knows rather than just, yeah. well, I think this is what we should do. Um, because we all know, unfortunately, those churches that have in those moments, they've made a decision that they thought was a good idea and maybe wasn't. And so I, I think this would be a great moment for you to, to, you know, to step up and join uh, with these guys. I think it could be great. Um, a couple that. other questions, if I don't mind, if you don't mind. Um, so does EFMLA, this is from Christina, uh, and I think I know the answer to this one, but is EFMLA applied to those who cannot telework like childcare workers or preschool uh, teachers, or is it just the, or is it just for those who are caring for kids who are out of school? Do you understand the question there? So if, well, uh, basically, I mean, if they, if they have to be not able to work or telework. So I guess, you know, the childcare workers not able to work or, you know, or telework uh, by nature of their job, I would hope. <laughs> um, yes. Unless someone's figured something out I haven't done. But, um, but yeah, so they would be, you know, if they're an employee, present employee, I mean, they would be eligible for, um, for the leave subject to the conditions we've kind of laid out, um, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, Kelly asked a question, and this is around the notification issue that we talked a little bit about there. I assume that a letter to an employee explaining uh, this, just everything we've been talking about here, the 10 days, the leave with the dates and all of that uh, should be the documentation needed required by law so that we're doing our piece to inform uh, about this. Or is there another way, is there more we should be doing to inform our, um, you know, our, our team members? Yeah. The model notice that was posted yesterday at Department of Labor's um, helpful piece of that. But I mean, that's not, you know, that's a government agency public notice kind of deal. The specific documentation for the tax credit, you know, I would make sure you've got, you know, the name, the amount, the condition, and 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 then just use your normal communication sense, you know, as far as how you ultimately kind of communicate, you know, the availability of that and document it and, and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, that's, that's, um, um, 
you know, the present process for FMLA and some of that kind of can inform some of that, but even common sense will, will help. But that, that tax credit portion of that definitely include the amount um, internally, at least, you know, that you're expending and that you're out so you can grab that back. Yeah, and if you're in chat, there some folks have linked that to that uh, announcement yesterday. Yeah. I haven't actually che- checked that. I'm assuming that's actually right, but it looks it looks like a right address. So, Richard, <laughs> I appreciate you posting that on there. Uh, that that should be super helpful. Well, friends, I think we're going to call it. I appreciate you, uh, you know, being here today, tuning in. Uh, you know, David, sorry we had some tech problems there. Uh, Stephen, no appreciate all the uh, the help. Again, I would encourage people to uh, to connect, to reach out. Uh, I think you know th- th- you guys have been so helpful today. I really appreciate all the help. Thanks for for being a part of today. Make sure you join us on tomorrow's podcast or our webinar, the last one of the week. Uh, but I appreciate you being here today, Stephen and David. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a good day, guys. God bless.